Howdy, campers. It's Lauren Marie Taylor, and you are listening to the Not the Final Girl podcast. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of the Not the Final Girl podcast, we are going to be chatting it up with Diane Franklin. This is actually going to be a two-parter because we had so much to talk about. But today's episode is going to focus on Amityville to the Possession and the Amityville Murders. Just a bit of trigger warning before we start. When Diana and I talk about Amityville to the Possession, she's going to be going into detail about her approach as an actor to the scenes involving her brother in the movie and his horrible behavior towards Diane's character, Patricia. So if this is a trigger for you, you might want to fast forward a bit or just turn the volume way down. Let's go. Okay, so today I've got Diane Franklin with me. As you all know, thank you for taking the time to be on the Not the Final Girl podcast on such short notice. We just got together about this, what, yesterday, I think? Yes, and Lauren, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here, and uh, I'm happy to hear that you're from New York, which is where I'm from, too. So, Okay, where in New York are you from? Originally, uh, Long Island. Yes, Plainview. So I'm talking like this. So, uh, yes, my, my I love being uh, from the island. And uh, uh, when I was, uh, I was raised in Long Island, and then I went to um, New York. Uh, as I, you know, when I was like 10 years old, I started acting, and I that would bring me to New York City. So I'm just, I love New York. Did you ever have any of the casting directors for commercials or any of the, your other gigs say, uh, Diane, you need to lose that accent. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I remember specifically when I was maybe 12, I started with commercials. Mm-hmm. I started originally actually with modeling, where obviously you're not talking. And then all of a sudden the commercials came up and they would say to me, you know, you got to watch that voice. I was, you know, start to talk like this. And they said, <laughs> um, you need to lose it. But of course, there was no internet then. Mm-hmm. So what was I told? Um, I was told to watch the news and talk like the people on the news. And so <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> kind of interesting, watching their mouths and, and following their, their voices. You know, it's funny that you said that you started out doing commercials because I did as well. And I feel like we ran in the same commercial circles. Like you were, I, I, I really have this picture of you in my mind in a casting office, waiting to go in to go on camera with, you know, the storyboards and the sides to know what we had to say. And you were always this adorable brunette with these incredible curls. And I had that Dorothy Hamill, you know, the ice, the figure skater. I had the Dorothy Hamill haircut. So we were complete opposites, but we were always in the same commercial space. Oh my gosh. And you know what? Um, yeah, this is something that is for the people who are, are listening now. Back in the 70s, mm-hmm. when we were both like doing this, um, that, you know, was very kind of different environment. You know, you'd go into the room and absolutely there's no internet. You don't know anybody. And we'd be all sitting and waiting mm-hmm. and you kind of just like, you don't know what's going to happen. And then maybe they'll put two girls together or whatever. But you never got a real chance to get to know each other because you'd always be just kind of waiting for yourself, to, waiting to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wish that we had had time to meet. I'm so grateful we're meeting now because we probably do have a lot in common. Yeah. And and we have the same directors too, that we worked with like Bob Giraldi, uh, Bianchi, um, Steve Horn. 
Oh my gosh, Steve Warren, yes. Uh, she's bringing up names, and then now you're bringing me back. <laughs> I, I seriously, these are these are big name directors, and they um, and there were huge commercials that would ha- be happening too. Like, do you remember we would do commercials that were thirty seconds long, but the first commercial that was ever one minute that was a big deal. We went through that time. Yeah, it was, and mostly those commercials were the ones that had the jingles because I did the jingles for all of the Burger King commercials, and then I was in them lip syncing to my own voice. And one of them was a minute long, and it played during the World Series. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had the um, the Coke commercial, and it was done like fame, and yes. they played that during the Super Bowl. Oh, I loved that commercial. I was so jealous. And when I had an audition for a Pepsi commercial directed by Steve Horn, I remember looking in the mirror and practicing how to drink soda from a glass bottle so that you could see the bubbles, because they said, well, for your callback, they're going to want to see the bubbles you're drinking the soda. And I was like, I really want to get in the commercial just like that Coke commercial. Okay, people who are listening, you don't understand. The art of eating, it's an art. Okay, (laughs) It's an art to make something look delicious or seem like you're easily eating it. (laughs) Yes. And it tastes good, even if it doesn't, that it tastes good. It tastes good, exactly. Did you ever do a cereal commercial, like Cheerios or Corn Flakes or anything like that? No. Did you have you? you Those are the worst. I won't say which it was. You have to tell me what happened, though. Okay, go ahead. Oh, it got soggy. Oh, no. <laughs> and I had to bite and smile. You remember the old bite and smile thing? Yeah. Oh, and I, oh it, and I don't eat cereal either. So I had, <laughs> oh, what a disaster. But I I managed. It took a few hours, but I, I managed to get it done. Oh, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So this is a piece of any story. Not, oh, okay. I've got a good one, actually. Um, I did it one of my earliest commercials. Was it, uh, for fried chicken, and it was Weaver's Fried Chicken. And I kept getting the name of the product wrong. So I would be like, um, I love fried chicken. That's why I eat Wetsons. And Wetsons was an ice cream place near me. <laughs> I couldn't sit there. I got Weaver. It's Weaver. I'm like, oh, okay. So it, it's so funny. The, the experiences you have making commercials. It's like, no, let's take it, take it again. Take two. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of people don't realize that it preps you for your work because you're doing take after take. And sometimes you get it once, sometimes you get it thrice, but sometimes it takes all day, multiple angles. So, you know, I I mean, I don't recall people poo-pooing commercials back then because, you know, we were young and everybody was doing them. But it's good good training. I mean, I have to say... You know, look, you know, the thing that's interesting about uh, what commercials did is you're you're doing the repetitive uh, things. You have to hit your marks. You have to do the Mm -hmm. same thing from different angles. You have to remember. Mm -hmm. So what's fascinating to me is, you know, obviously, you know, improv is now very, very popular and people are always looking for something different. And you're in the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, which and these are very different skills. Mm -hmm. But but back then, improv was not a thing. You had to do exactly the dialogue that was given. You had to do the exact movements. You mm-hmm. had to um, remember, you know, and I, I, I wanted to ask you your experience. I mean, do you remember that as well? Where Oh, absolutely, where you yeah. had to say what was written, even in the audition. And that's why I think when we were all in that little room together waiting to go into the other littler room to go on yeah. camera, we didn't socialize because we were so busy trying to memorize a script in yeah. five minutes. Yeah, exactly. And the pressure. I mean, 
it, it's not it's not the kind of pressure that I think it's a different kind of pressure, meaning it's not like we were nervous pressure. It was thinking pressure. Mm-hmm. It was like you're really trying to memorize it and get it down so that when you go in, you're ready as opposed to being oh, as opposed to thinking, oh, what's going to happen? You, it's not that kind of nervousness. Do you agree? Oh, oh totally agree. So actors out there remember like nervousness. um, you know, you can be excited, but you're spending your time when you're in those waiting rooms or, rooms or when you're prepping, prepping, you're thinking, you're trying to make it happen. You're very focused. And we were all very young actors that were had the ability or learned through the process to focus very early. I think that's what made us, you know, a very interesting group of people. Yeah. And, you know, we were both on daytime TV. Uh, I was on As the World Turns. Okay. Now we're talking soap operas. I love it. This is excellent training. If you're an actor and you get on a soap opera, that is excellent training. I I can't think of anything that's harder, actually, to tell you the truth. What's your take on that? It goes back to that commercial experience where you have to say what is written. And then after I was on the soap for 13 years, so after 13 years, there was a trust that went on so that if I improvised ever so slightly, they were okay with it. But the thing about soaps, which I'm sure you remember too, is you get the script, you've got to know what you're doing. You go through the rehearsals and then right before you tape it, before, you know, you do your final takes, they'll change the script on you. They'll make edits, they'll cut, they'll change lines, they'll swat, you know, swat the blocking around and you have to think on your feet while still doing exactly what they want you to do. So you're right. What a training ground. You're suddenly like, uh, you're an adult, you're given adults. Of responsibilities and you're you're you know a team you're like okay i gotta do this and your memory you gotta memorize it really fast you can't get too stuck in one thing yeah and you have to be flexible too because when you memorize your lines the night before or however nights before you you're able to memorize you are memorizing it with a way that you believe you are going to put forth for your character and then the director says well let's try it this way and you think try it that way. I'll tell you a funny story because you have uh, kids. Yeah. Before maternity leave, I was pregnant for all three of my children when I was on the soap opera. So I would have to film six weeks worth of shows before going on maternity leave. That is really nice they did that. Oh, it was nice they did that, but I think it made me slightly insane because I was doing lines from show, you know, 2,856 for show 2,851. And they said, Lauren, Lauren, that's the wrong show. I said, oh, oh. Again, for all the young actors or for career changes, don't poo-poo commercials or soap operas because it really is a great training ground for when you're going to bust into primetime TV and movies. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is a great story. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Now, you had a big breakout year in 1982. So you did um, The Last American Virgin and Amityville 2, The Possession. Which one came first? Which casting call came first? Um, Last American Virgin was the first film that I got and then was interesting. We shot it. I think we shot it like around December of 81. And then it didn't come out until the summer of 82. And then, so then Amityville I did in like 
March of 82, and okay. it came out very quickly. So it was interesting how, like, nobody knew who I was, and then all of a sudden, both films came out. And at that time, that was, I mean, a lot, because films didn't, there weren't a lot of films out. Also, kind of word of mouth happened during that time where, you know, once somebody kind of knew you were in a film, then people went, oh, well, you know, th this is the next big thing, and everyone kind of wanted everybody, you know, that person to be in the film. Uh -huh. So it was kind of interesting that. I remember feeling like, I, why am I being picked when no, had no one's even seen my work yet? Um, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting how that sort of falls into place. So the audition experience for Last American Virgin and Amityville Two were those completely different experiences for you? Yes, my audition for Last American Virgin was a complete surprise because I actually was going to NYU at the time and I uh, had a. Uh, what do you call it? Um, I had a, a chemistry midterm <laughs> and I let my hair go curly the night before because I had been straightening it for everything usually that I went on. I would straighten my hair because curly hair was not in fashion. Mm -hmm. And so I just let my hair go curly. My manager called and said, you have an audition for this movie. Mm -hmm. And The Last American Virgin, I said, I am not going for it. I have, you know, I have to do my chemistry midterm because I'm, I'm going to NYU and I majored in biochemistry. And I'm like, okay, I do acting on the side, but, you know, my schoolwork, I've got to get this done. And I go into the test and I realized that I had a better chance of getting a lead in a feature film than I did passing the test. <laughs> so um, I ran uptown uh, to meet with the director and the producers, and the director had left already on the plane. Oh. And the producers saw me, and they said, no, we want to bring you to L.A. next week, and if you book it, you have to stay and <gasps> the film. So here I was, like, in my, I think it was, like, my first or second, whatever, semester, first semester of, or maybe my second, yeah, it was my second year semester second year mm -hmm. of NYU and I had to stop my classes and I went to LA and I got the job so that was a big sort of whirlwind it was like you know all of a sudden I'm doing this film and my hair you know was dark and curly and they hired me with it and I was shocked because I had I was so busy hiding it my whole life that by the time it got there I was just like whoa okay you think this is beautiful world great I mean it was shocked um and then with Amityville 2 my experience was um, I was already I was back in New York again. I had finished Virgin, uh -huh. came back and started school again, of course, <laughs> and uh, next semester. And then Amityville was much more like a, a more regular audition in New York. It was an audition. You go to the hotels, and at that time, people auditioned at hotels, which is not a good thing to do today. But we're all. <laughs> Um, so, um, but, uh, at that time it was handled very professionally and I remember doing a screen test there and, and I, and I auditioned and got the script knew ahead of time and got the part. So then they, we shot it in Tom's River, New Jersey, the exteriors and the interiors we shot in Mexico city. Oh, wow. Yeah. So interesting, two totally different things. And I knew that I wanted to do horror because I feel like that is a rite of passage as an actor. It's like, I feel like you can't say you're an actor unless you've done horror. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's sort of like, it's an experience that it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's just an amazing experience uh, that you will not get in any other you know, genre. Yeah, because you've got to be scared of absolutely nothing in front of you. 
(laughs) You've got to be chased by absolutely no one. You know, you've got to turn and be startled. I agree with you. Uh, For horror, you really have to be in the moment. And a lot of people ask, and I'll ask you this too, in terms of screaming, they say, well, how did you produce that scream? And I always say, well, you're in the moment and you're in character and it's, it's a hard thing to explain. And you uh, use your imagination. I, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, for me, um, uh, one of the most exciting things. And I asked you is this as an actor, one of the most exciting things I find personally, uh, I love about acting is doing something and surprising people like, you know, in your head what you can do. And so you're doing it. And, so I often like what would be fun for me is I go, okay, people are, at, they're not going to have any idea how cool this is. I mean, I, I'm totally going to go for it. And so it's a very fun feeling to be visualized and use your imagination and then be free and just completely, I guess what it is, is really have that focus mm-hmm. and bring it when you need to. And I just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a personal thing. I just love surprising, uh, you know, audience, you know, audiences or, you know, casting or whoever it is with whatever I imagine. Yeah. I, I always like surprising, uh, obviously the audience eventually, but also the people around you on set, the director and mm-hmm. the best boys, the grips, the sound guy, you know, the, you know, to, to blow out a, a, a sound person's um, headphones is an honor when you're in a horror movie. You know, by the way, um, speaking yeah. of, um, of Amityville to the possession, you worked with Rutanya Alda. She played your mom, right? Yeah. I worked in a movie that same year with her called Girls Night Out. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we have to all get together. You know, you're in New York now, right? Oh, I've, I'm always in New York. I, I've never left. I'm. I think it's I'm. I'm glued to New York. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so amazing. We should get together. That's very fun. Yeah, it is pretty fun. Did you read the book, by the way? Because I know I did when I was. Now I'm aging myself here, but whatever. When I was in high school, I read the book Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. Did you read that book at all? My character had to be so innocent, and I. I did not want to play. Here's a. It's a couple of things. One, I knew that I had to be coming from a place where I had no preconceived ideas. Okay. As completely innocent as possible. And if I was scared or I was freaked out by something, I didn't want to bring that. So I purposely didn't do that. But the the other part of it was, you know, the, the people who were actually in Amityville, when I did Amityville, The Possession, that was a, it's a, it was a narrative and a story, but they, loosely based it on the book they didn't want anything that really as close to the book because of uh, uh, litigation like they didn't want to be you know they didn't want to have it uh, do, for copyright reasons not to copy it right uh dino was like wanted to that's why the movie goes half of it is in the uh, about the house and then the other half is a possession movie right and it's also so, a prequel to the 1979 yeah. one with margot yeah. kidder it's more realistic, I think, than the, in a way. Like, it's a very gritty movie. Mm-hmm. Amityville, The Possession, people have said to me that they actually liked it the most because it was more kind of real. It's got a lot of realistic parts, but it's also a classic horror film because of The Possession. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I will say, after reading the book, and it, it, it is interesting that you didn't read the book for those reasons. First of all, the book was creepy as F, okay? And I thought every house was possessed by some sort of demon after reading it. So when you're saying that the house is possessed and then you go to 
the people too, especially uh, the the brother in the movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, also, I want to clarify something too. When I did Amityville, the possession, I again, I, I because of the situation with my brother, and, and I'll get into that in a second. He's, um, I knew that I again, I had to stay really trusting and open and innocent. When I did Amityville Murders, which I did in nineteen. 19- uh, 2017, which is a remake, uh, basically, or the, at least uh, that movie came out and I played the mother. That's where I did my research because now as the mother, I know more and I had to do like, uh, I had to know the family. I had to, I had more responsibility. It was a totally different experience. So um, I'm just saying that like, it is interesting when, you know, when you allow yourself to be immersed in it and then you win, you go, no, no, I, I can't get that. I can't be scared when performing. But, um, for those who don't know, Amityville 2, The Possession, has incest in the film. What was your approach to the way Patricia, your character of Patricia, coped with that? And then you yes. as an actress coped yes. with okay, having good. to play that. Okay, now this is... So, okay, so first of all, I want to share with the audience. When I received the script from... When I first got the script, there were things in it, and I'm going to bring up the... Well, first of all, there was nudity, and then there was also... Mm-hmm. There was incest. Now, the nudity, my feeling was that it was limited and the only problem I had with any nudity was I just didn't want to be the actress that was known for nudity. Mm-hmm. So when you do nudity as an actor, the key is not, it's not that it's not necessarily the nudity. I didn't really have a problem doing the nudity. Mm-hmm. What I had a problem was only being hired for it. Uh, so my whole thing was okay. Three times and I'm done. Like that's it. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that you're, you move on. Um, but Every every time I did it, it was it had to have purpose in the story because it can't. And for me, that was my thing. Um, and in Amityville, the scene was with incest with my brother. Now mm-hmm. I would not have been able to play the character had I had a brother. Oh. Because if I had had a brother, I would have made a much more I made an association with it, mm-hmm. and it would have been too weird. But because I didn't have a brother, I didn't see it as something that was taboo. And so as an actress, when I played it, I was like, okay, uh, to me, my thing, what I was working on was creating a brother relationship mm-hmm. when I had never had a brother. So that to me was my acting, like my experience was like, okay, so how do you treat a brother different than you treat, you know, a, a guy, a friend? And that was a very, um, it was very specific. It's different body language and it's the different tone in your voice. And, um, again, like, I mean, I don't know. It's like a lot of people may not realize this, but when you're raised as a single child, you don't understand the sister relationships or the brother relationships. Mm-hmm. It's a different world. And so as an actor, I had to observe and be, you know, I had to re- I had to like imagine, but I know I had no personal experience on that. So, the hardest thing for me in that world was like, I remember thinking like that scene in the attic where like I do that, you know, Hey, come on, you like girls and stuff like that. And I remember thinking I have to be really casual about this and I have to be really um, like, Hey, it has about, like a little bit more um, teasing mm-hmm. each other, but I didn't know that. So uh, that was the first feeling about that relationship. So in order to do the incest, it was, it, it didn't bother me because of the because I didn't have a brother. Had I had a brother, probably wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, your awkwardness would probably have come out even subliminally. Yeah. You know, as an actress, 
we have to justify some dialogue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes <laughs> yes. it's not in the writing. Yeah. And so when you ask me about that scene, okay, I'm going to very talk to you about the scene where I'm with my brother in the bedroom. All right. And so here's the interesting part. If there was incest going on, I don't think I'd be talking. In the truth and reality of it, my guess is my personal feeling is I would freeze and I wouldn't move and I wouldn't talk. But here we are in the bedroom and there's dialogue. And so for me, I'm playing that character. I was thinking, if you love someone and something like this happens, you are frozen. You, you, to me, it was like, I would be like making believe like this isn't really going to happen. Like this isn't happening. Like as it's happening in your mind, my guess was that I was sitting in a situation where I was sort of like, I'm always giving that other person the chance to back up mm-hmm. or say no, or you didn't, I mean, yeah, I'm like, you know, you asked me to be the model, but you know, that's just make like this isn't really happening and that totally comes across when you watch the movie um but then when it really goes over the edge like that you can see in your eyes we're like this is not right and and you know here's the thing in you know you might say in life why didn't i fight it off i don't believe when something like this happens and i have to say like when something like this happens where you are being if you're assaulted or if there's, if there's anything going on, especially with family, you tell, there's a lot of people in life where you might have trust. And again, like, I mean, that character is, I, I really just felt like I was being very respectful to those girls. It's not an easy situation that you can leave because they are the closest people to you. I mean, I just put myself in that situation. I would be frozen. And can it be over forever? Okay, so your family in, not your family, but your family in uh, the possession, in Amity 2 possession, the, your dad was Burt Young. Now, Burt Young is famous for his role in Rocky. What was he like in real life? Oh, Burt? Okay, so he's wonderful. One of the things, one of the great gifts of doing Amityville 2 was meeting him. Now, Here's the other thing too. When I did that film, I didn't know. I knew he had worked a lot in the in, in the business, but I, and I knew he'd been he was a famous actor. Yeah. But I, I, I had not seen his work, so I didn't put him on a pedestal, which I think is really important for actors when you work with people. Like I didn't. Sometimes you put somebody on a pedestal. You watch their work. It's like you can't be in the moment with them. You can't be real. So. When I worked with him, I, you know, and as I did with even with Tanya too, it's like you just take people as they are. You mm-hmm. see them as their, you know, as the parents. And so when we would work together, I mean, I totally, he, you know, he was so nice between scenes oh, wow. that I totally trusted him. And I knew he was a professional mm-hmm. actor. And so I could trust him. And so what I'm saying to you people is that if you work with someone who's a professional, usually <laughs> you can trust that they have control over their body and their voice. Mm-hmm. What is, how do you know that? Because between the scenes, they come down and they can talk to you and joke with you. And that's what he did. I mean, he was completely relaxed and, you know, joking and laughing. But then when we got into it, you know, you know, I knew, you know, obviously we were all acting and trust each other to play off each other. So, um, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, that was, that's just really fun 
you know, a fun experience. You get into it. Everyone is just real and takes things in the moment. And then afterwards, you're like, okay, cut. All right. I'd love to hear your experience working on your horror film. Well, actually, it's funny uh, because I had a very similar experience with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd for Neighbors. You know, I, oh, I hate to say this out loud, but I didn't watch Saturday Night Live when I was younger, <laughs> when it was on. I just didn't. So, bravo to that. I mean, that's like, that was amazing. But you know what? I, I loved watching that show, but you know what? It was good you didn't because then there are these guys, right? So, right. So I had, just like you with Burt Young, I had no yeah. point of, and Rutanya Alda, obviously, I had no point of reference for Belushi and Aykroyd. So when I went in for the audition and then when I worked with them, to me, they were just like, eh, you know, one of the guys. We went to Dunkin' Donuts. We went to concerts together. You know, Danny Aykroyd spent Easter with my grandparents and me. So it, it, oh it, it was just, it, and, but then when you reflect on it and you think to yourself, wait a second, I worked with this person. I worked with that person. How cool is that to reflect on? No, that's, that, it's just amazing. It's just great. Then afterwards, you know, then you, I watch their work and it's like, oh my gosh, like just so, it's like magical. It's magic. You know, it's like life magic. Um, it's yeah. like, it's very exciting to, to work with people that are so imaginative. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Bert's so imaginative. As with Ritania, they, they can, you know, visualize and uh, it's just wonderful. I remember as a kid, looking at adults and going, how great that there are adults who, who play make-believe, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, how, how fun. I mean, how great is that? Is there, I don't think there's anything better for a kid to watch an adult play make-believe. It's true. You know, I have to go back to 2017 when you did sort of, I'm going to call it a time travel, when you played Louise DeFeo in The Amityville Murders. Was it stunt casting when they cast you as Louise DeFeo in Amityville Murders? Okay, so... First of all, I love doing this film. It was a, uh, in general, I just want to say it was a gift. This was a gift to me. Um, I was the first actress to play a um, daughter mm-hmm. and a mother <laughs> in the same story. And, you know, like um, in other films, like uh, they would either have a different actress mm-hmm. or in this case, uh, or they would have the, the actor grow up. But I got to have two different perspectives on the same story because Amityville Possession, the beginning of it is similar to or the same as Amityville Murders, okay? So, by the way, if you ever look up Amityville Murders, look up Amityville Murders movie. Uh, all this whole thing is based on 1974 murders. Which um, is scary. 23-year-old boy who murdered his entire family in Long Island. Okay, so um, at that house. So that house has had a lot going on in it. But, um, okay, so what happened at the audition? So I have a convention manager who... Um, contacted me and said, Diane, I want you to call this number. And I, and he said, just, just tell him who you are. And I'm like, who is this person? I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, he wouldn't even tell me what it was for. He said, this gentleman's named Daniel Ferens, and he wants you to just, just, just call him. So I'm like, okay. So I called the guy and I, I, I'm on the phone saying, hi, I just want to let you know, I'm um, hi. I was told to call you by my <laughs> convention agent. And I understand, you know, I'm, he told me to tell you I'm Diane Franklin. And I said, I don't know if you know who I am. And he said, oh, Diane, I know who you are. And I was like, um, okay. And he said, my name is Daniel Ferens, And I um, am a writer director. And I uh, saw you when you when I was twelve years old. I watched uh, Amityville Murders, no. uh, so Amityville the Possession. Uh, yeah, 
And he said, I never forgot that movie. I love that movie. And I actually have just written Amityville Murders. And I would like to offer you the role of Louise DeFeo. Oh, my God. And Mm -hmm. I burst into tears. I was, I mean, the whole idea of, first of all, I mean, personally, to play someone who was actually the real Louise Mm -hmm. DeFeo was an honor, you know, just an honor to play someone who was, you know, this real woman who went through this. And then also to bring back the part and maybe like um, a year or two before I was, uh, I had met someone who was doing the sound for a different Amityville movie. And they said, Oh, oh, Diane, they're doing another Amityville. And uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is playing the mom. And I was like, Oh, I wish they had called me to play the mom. <laughs> so even though I got it though, I still, he wanted me to do it. I still needed to audition or show them what I could do because the director wanted me, but obviously the producer needs to still okay it. I mean, that's important. So when I, uh, so I went in and if I don't get this, all I have is the audition. So I just let loose and they literally were crying at the audition and booked me in the room. Like they were like, you are, you are what you are, Louise. I mean, I'm stunned just thinking about it. Wow. When I saw that, I, I just thought, how is this happening in the real world that she's playing the daughter in one movie, but then in the other movie, she's playing Mrs. DeFeo? It blew my mind. Well, thank you. As an actress, you get it. Yes. You know, I mean, <laughs> as an actor, you go, oh, that is cool. You know, as an actor, you go, you go. You go. An excellent thank you to Diane Franklin for spending so much time with us. On the next episode, Diane will share memories from many other fan favorites of the 80s. Check out her website. It's really cool. DianeFranklin.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at actress Diane Franklin or on Twitter at Diane Franklin 80. Check out her Facebook page where you can find the Diane Franklin official fan page. And don't forget, I'm on Instagram at Laura Marie Taylor one That's the number one behind my name. If you want to check out my Patreon page, it's at patreon.com slash notthefinalgirl.com podcast. A shout out to Julie, who is a patron on the streamer level. We already had a video chat last month. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Don't forget to keep your doors locked and stay out of the woods.